Hello and welcome to Shoulder Charge. On the show this week we're talking Super League, we're talking Salford, we're talking Wigan, we're also talking Toronto and Expansion, and we've also got reaction from Sheffield Eagles coach Mark Aston on the recent plans to develop their stadium which have just got underway recently. So that's all to come on Shoulder Charge this week. So let's get right into it. I reckon we should start with the Super League and the current situation with the playoffs. Who would have predicted this before the start of the season? You know, playing this Saturday for the Super League title, it's St. Ellens who are going head-to-head with Salford Red Devils in the grand final at Old Trafford. And what a story that is for Salford, because just a couple of years ago, they were playing whole KR in the million pound game just to stay in the top division. And Ian Watson, the coach, he's been with them through that to now. He's dealt with it all, season after season. He's had to massively rebuild his squad. You know, he's been on a very low budget, but season after season, despite player departures, he's rebuilt the squad. He's kept Salford competitive. And boy, have they hit the big time this year. And I've said it many times on this podcast. You know, with Jackson Hastings and Niall Evans. Hastings, the uh, Man of Steel winner. Top try assister. And then Niall Evans, one of the top try scorers in Super League. Top try scorer for Salford. You know, they were always going to have a chance in the playoffs. That's what I said anyway. But I didn't expect them to get this far. You know, the way they dealt with Wigan as well. In that, you know, the game before the actual grand final. It was great to watch, you know. It was, it was a team of players with a point to prove. And perhaps they've not always been regarded as top players. But as a whole squad, they were unplayable. You know, the togetherness of that 13 is basically second to none. I don't think there's a more settled squad and who are all on the same page than Salford. And looking at the game, you know, Wigan were played off the park. And NRL Ben George Williams, he was totally anonymous. Salford barely made any errors. And it was the type of performance that you'd expect Wigan to produce, to be honest. And let's not forget, Wigan were the grand final winners last year. Yet, Salford dominated that game. And they almost kept a clean sheet. And my tip for the grand final before the playoffs started, it was it was Wigan. They went on that ma- amazing run. They were unplayable. And I don't know what's happened in the playoffs, but, you know, that is now a failure season. They've not lived up to the standards. You know, let's not forget, largely the same squad won the grand final last year. And yeah, there's been a lot of upheaval going on in the background. But, you know, to go on that run, to get into the playoffs to be one of the form sides and then to chuck it away like that I think it you know I wouldn't be happy and they never got going in the game it was error after error and to be honest I think not having Bevan French in the start in 13 was a bit of a mistake but you know that's in the past and it's Salford who were taking on St Helens not Wigan and Saints of course are the best team by far. For me, this game can go one of two ways. Saints are either 
going to be doubly determined to vindicate that Challenge Cup loss and get the retribution. Or the Cup loss will be playing on the mind so much that the want for revenge could actually become a burden in the sense that they basically try too hard, become desperate, become error-prone and start dropping the ball, knocking it on, kicking out on the full, that sort of stuff. For Salford, I think it'll be more of the same. I think they're definitely going to get them sets completed. They're not going to make any errors. They're going to give little away. They're not going to make it easy for Saints. And going back to that Challenge Cup final, what really caused Saints a load of issues was Warrington's line speed. So I think if Salford can do that, then they'll certainly cause problems. But it's one thing keeping Farrell, Williams and Sam Powell quiet against Wigan. But it's perhaps another thing trying to stop James Roby, Tommy Makinson, Lachlan Coote and Johnny Lomax quiet. And I could actually name more danger men. So the task ahead of Salford is a real tough one. But, you know, they've, pro- they've proven they've got the metal to go head-to-head with them. So it's going to make for a cracking game. And hopefully, it's going to raise the profile of Rugby League in and around Salford. Oh, and by the way, did you see how um, Justine Holbrook was given Coach of the Year? I thought it was a bit premature, to be honest. What, what about you? You know, if Salford win, how awful is that going to look for a coach who has failed to win the Challenge Cup and has failed to win the Super League, despite being by far the best team, 16 points above the next best team. Only lost three times, twice to London when they fielded a weakened side. Just imagine if they lose and he's crowned, well, he already is crowned Coach of the Year. You know, it was a it was a bad decision for me. It's, you know, he's got to be Ian Watson. Hardly anything to work with. Not got the resources as anyone else. Not got the fan base of anybody else. But have competed as if they have had it. So Salford have basically had to do more work than everybody else. Just to be as good and better than the other teams. And how often do you see a team with a low fan base and a low budget to come within one game of being the champions of the top league in the country. I'm not being funny, but it's got a bit of a feeling of a Leicester-type achievement. You know, granted, Leicester did come top of the league. Salford are doing it via a playoff scenario, so there's perhaps more luck involved with the with Salford. You know, given they're not the best team overall, that's St Helens, and they can still be champions, whereas Leicester, they've got to be the best team overall. So some may argue that's a bit more difficult, but for me, it's pretty much of the same magnitude, really. So that's why Ian Watson should have been coach of the year, and how silly will it look if Justin Holbrook loses in the grand final, and he's the coach of the year. Also, what I wanted to talk to you about is Brian McDermott's comments after Toronto were promoted. I don't know if you saw it, but I thought it was a bit of a disgrace, to be honest. And what he basically said was, 
Super League should consist of big city teams because a league consisting of small teams in the north of England is basically not appealing to anybody. And I do get the point he's trying to make, but I just don't think it is a correct one. You know, first of all, it's disrespectful to the so-called small northern towns, such as, you know, Wigan, Warrington and Castleford, who get large attendances from a small pool. They've done lots to produce rugby league talent, and they've basically built the game to where it is today. Without those core in the north, there won't be a rugby league or you know, as it is today. And to then say to those clubs that, you know, well, sorry, you're not quite a big city, so off you trot, you know, get back down. We're the big boys, we belong in this top league, you're in the championship, you know, bye-bye. I just think it's not the way forward at all. If you want to expand, you don't alienate your whole audience. And that is basically what is happening if we're listening to the Brian McDermott's of the world, you know, there wouldn't be any fairy tale Salford story, and there'd be a bunch of so called big cities in the top division without any element of jeopardy because they want to remove relegation as well. So it's not going to be based on quality, and they're only going to be there because they called London or they called Newcastle. You know, what on earth is all that about? Well, first of all, Where are these rugby league fans in the big cities coming from? Because London can hardly, you know, get a big fan base. They only have a couple thousand in London, one of Europe's biggest cities. So where is this fan base that we're going to tap into? Because I don't think it's there. Where are these established fans? You know, why are London only getting a couple thousand? Surely, if this expansion model was to work, London would be getting a lot more than they are, and there'd be a tangible thing to tap into. And I think the Toronto model is slightly flawed because, first of all, they're slightly out of place in Super League, so you've got a load of teams from the North, one team from France, and one team from Canada. First of all, it's a bit of a mismatch, it's It's a bit strange for an outsider to be like, okay, would fans, would broadcasters in Toronto be looking at this and thinking, oh yeah, Toronto playing teams in the north of England. I don't think there's a big appeal there. So I don't really understand how they're gonna get a broadcast deal for Canada. And they may say that's the case for putting the big cities in Super League, but Toronto are going in Super League now with quite a big following, actually, which is to their credit. But once Toronto actually become established and expand the game in Canada, are they not just going to fly off and compete in a strong Canadian league? Because then that's going to be more appealing to the Toronto public. You know, it seems a bit of a, you know, testing out the waters and then we'll do a big league in Canada or whatever. I don't think uh, a European league is a way forward, to be honest. I just don't think it's going to work. And in terms of 
the broadcast deal in the UK. I don't know the demographic of Sky's viewing figures, but I bet most of them are from the north of England. I bet they are. Think about this. When a sporting event is on, for what reason would you watch that sporting event? What is the primary reason you watch that sport? So let's take swimming. I think a couple of months ago the swimming championships was on and Adam Peaty was competing. So do you watch that swimming championship the main reason because of Adam Peaty or do you watch it because you like the swimming? I'll tell you what I would do. I, I didn't watch it because the sport to me is just not that exciting enough really. You know, I quite like Adam Peaty. I do like watching him when he's in the Olympics or whatever, the Commonwealth Games. But for a swimming championships, probably but probably not. Another example, the Tour de France. I quite like Chris Room, Geraint Thomas. I didn't watch the Tour de France because it can become really tedious and boring. The Rugby World Cup is on right now, actually. Uh, I'm English, I'm patriotic. I like to see England do well. Am I watching England in the Rugby World Cup? No, I'm not watching them in the Rugby World Cup because Rugby Union is crap. That is why. And whilst we Rugby League fans may think it's a great sport, I don't think many of us do, especially in areas where it's not established. And as the saying goes, you can't polish a turd. Not saying Rugby League is a turd, but... Some people just aren't interested, clearly. Otherwise, London would have loads of fans. You cannot force it upon people. Let's take another example. Let's take newspapers. The Guardian. They're not a very well-bought newspaper. The Guardian does not then think, we've got this middle-class audience who are probably in the higher demographic area. They don't then go, right, you know... The Sun are the most read newspaper. Let's go and then court their readers. You know, why are why are the Sun readers not buying our newspaper? It just wouldn't happen. They don't do it because they're not interested, because that demographic of people don't, don't like it. And you can't force it upon them. Here's a question for you. Why do broadsheets not cover rugby league? It's because the audience isn't bloody interested in it, that's why. And if you think the way to entice more people into it is to go after people who are probably not that bothered about it, then I think you're living in Claire Cuckoo land. And that's what I think many expansionist aficionados, let's call them, are trying to do. Instead, you build on what's already there and you gain more fans that way. You know, you build on your already established fan base. You get Rugby League established in schools to improve existing fan bases. You look at ways to improve the sport itself. You get rid of loop fixtures, etc. But I'm afraid the Rugby Football League on these tweaks are failing at the moment. You know, they're keeping the loop fixtures. You know, there's a lot of... They've not sorted out the fan issues back when Catalans played Warrington and there was a load of bloody fighting going on in the stands. I don't think that's been sorted out. There's real delay going on at the RFL and change is not being made quick enough in my opinion. I don't have anything against Toronto actually being in Super League. 
they're on merit, you know, they've paid their way into it, they've not had any handouts, they've done it off their own backs, but, um, you know, I don't mind, actually, Toronto being there. However, the idea that we remove relegation and we have a, a licensing system consisting of, you know, big names and big clubs rather than those who are there on merit, I don't think it's the way to go. Because you get rid of the fans that are already there, and you're trying to get in fans that aren't there, when, you know, there's several areas where rugby league is more popular, yet it's not been fully explored in terms of getting more fans into it. If having the big cities involved in the top divisions and that becoming more marketable and more appealing, if that was correct, if that were true, then the flipping name changes that some chairmen seem to be doing at the moment would work, but they're not working, are they? You know, we've recently had Swinton trying to change the name to Manchester. That was a flipping disaster. You know, the idea is they change it to Manchester Lions. People then think, oh, Manchester Lions. You know, let's go and see Manchester because it's Manchester. People ain't just going to go because of a name, are they? A while back when they announced this, I looked into it a bit. And the sporting attendances on a regular basis in, in Greater Manchester, when you combine all the sporting clubs, you know, like Sale... Uh, rugby Union, all the football clubs, you know, Bolton, Oldham and all that, when you get the whole attendances for those, it's un- just under 200,000, and that's quite a lot. So Swinton are already trying to, they're already fighting a losing battle because a lot of greater Mancunians attend sport already, so there's not much scope left to court new fans. But at the end of the day, the reason people are going to go and watch something is because of the product that's on the field. It's because of the sport itself. It's because of all the excitement that goes with it. It's not because they have a swanky name, you know. It just it, it just doesn't work like that. And now, forget Toronto. I've said enough on that. It does my head in, to be honest. Not Toronto, just the idea of expansion and alienating everybody else. So let's move on to Sheffield Eagles. Now, in recent weeks, they've announced that finally developments at the Olympic Legacy Park are going to get underway. They're going to get started in in December time and the initial phase will have 750 seats and the final plans are for just under 4,000 stadium that'll be, you know, up and running with corporate facilities, terraces and, you know, fan bars and stuff like that. And this is pretty much a step in the direction of establishing Sheffield Eagles as a functioning club again. You know, they've been on the road for God knows how long. They've been fined by the RFL. Everybody knows about the issues they finally get a bit of stability now. They can move forward. They can put more money into the actual rugby side of it. They can invest more in in the players. So 
I spoke to Mark Aston about the developments and what it actually means for the club. Okay, so work's going to start developing the stadium. How crucial is that for the club's future? Massive, you know, it's been a long time coming, and uh, it's great news at the start of December that uh, they're going to start actually start on site. So yeah, it's it's, it's something we need uh, to help develop the club uh, back to where it's been before, and start getting people back to the game and, and watching the game, and also you know the, the corporate guests are going to have facilities that you know they'll be second to none. So. It's massive for the club's development and, and long-term stability uh, is that we get the, the stadium and, and the sooner the better. So we're delighted with the, with the news that's just come out that uh, the Scarborough group will start developing on, um, uh, on in December. So they're putting in 750 seats initially. Is there a time frame when that initial development will be completed? Oh, it'll be 40 weeks, I believe. So, yeah, they're, they're putting in a stand with corporate boxes, corporate entertainment bars, and and uh, there's going to be scope, there's going to be territory around the sides uh, for, for, for fans as well behind the post and up the other side on Flame Hill. Uh, there's going to be fans' bars, there's going to be concessions. So, yeah, everything's going to be in place. But it's, I think it's a 40 week build. So, you know, hopefully we can get. Uh, the main stand up and the seats do, done first so that obviously the people can sit down at the game, at the game. which again is great for us I think, uh, that we can build it and, and again there's still scope if you know if things escalate and get more fans and you need a big there's plenty of, there's plenty of room to develop the stadium up to whatever is needed you know is the 40-week time frame for the whole 4,000, or is it just the initial stages for that? I, I think that's for the full the full site. Right. I think the 40-week the, the, the build is for the full site. So, you know, I'm quite keen to get the, the first part of it done, phase one, which hopefully will give us some seats, and, and then people can sit down and, you know, if, they, if they, all the corporate stuff and the changing rooms and everything quite finished by... Um, that. At least we have somewhere for the fans. That's important. Yeah, um, you just missed out on the playoffs last year. Uh, do you think that this development will help you become, you know, a, a, a team pushing for a Super League place? Oh, I think it's important that you have a, an home, and, and we haven't had an home for a long, long time now. You know, we've been floating and drifting about, and you know, we've had a bit of success on the field this year. Again, the first piece of silverware back to Sheffield for a long, long time. Uh, so we're immensely proud of that. So it gives us a chance to, to have an home and build it. And, and then, you know, I, I think that then we can build the club from, as we are doing, the stability into hopefully getting it prosperous. And, and, and actually, yeah, of course, we, of course we would dream about playing uh, in Super League. But, you know, that's a long way away at this moment. Time. I, I get that. But part of it is the facility, getting the facility right so that you can develop a crowd and then you can develop a crowd and you, can, you know at the same time you develop the corporate entertainment because the one thing about Sheffield that's always been good with is, is, is corporate entertainment and, and we need that back so we can generate more money then once we generate more money we can invest more money into the squad which ultimately we should and would because um, hopefully um, more successful 
so you've said before to me that the RFL have been fining the club because of the substandard facilities. How much actually were those fines? Oh, I wouldn't know, but I know that we have had fines for uh, for uh, the, the, the stadium not being up to the uh, required criteria. So I'm not aware of what that number is, uh, but it, you know it won't be, it'll be significant. It'll be significant. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and it's certainly better than our bank <laughs> than, yeah. uh, than, than paying it out. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're, like, we're, we're certainly been fine, but you know, the, the big news is the stadium's happening and we can get everybody behind it and then start believing. You know, because at the end of the day, the longer it goes on, the, the less people believe. Yeah. That's, that's the issue you all have. But now that, that, you know, hopefully December comes, there's going to be a spade, a digger in there. In the, in the midst, and, and, and they're going to start digging the holes and laying the foundation. As soon as that happens, there's another bit of excitement coming, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and will this now satisfy the RFL? Will there be no more fines from them? Yeah, hopefully, you know, and, and that's, again, the, the, the thing. You know, once we get the plans and what, what works happening, when do we have to play at home to start with? Do we have to play away over the first few weeks? just so we can get the, the facility somewhere like. They're the things that are, the, the conversations are going on now. That's what they're talking about. Is, is what what's it look like? What will it be? And all that sort of stuff. So they're the discussions that are going on right here and right now. And finally, I've seen recently that uh, you've been nominated to be included in the Walk of Fame and have a gold star outside Sheffield saying, oh, what do you make about that? Oh, well, you know, it'd be, it'd be something that you'd be immensely proud of and it'd be an honour to be part of that. Um, you know, we do what we do in the game or, or in any sport to give kids an opportunity and, and give a kid a dream and, and that's all I do. And if I get recognised for that, uh, great. You know, it'd, it'd be certainly something that uh, I'd be immensely proud of. So that's a bit of good rugby league news to balance it out a bit and now moving on as it's coming towards the end of the season I thought we'd do a bit of an awards type thing so the first one is the best team and I think the contenders for that I think there's only two contenders for that I'm not bothering with Warrington yes they won the Challenge Cup but just look at how they capitulated after that you know, they were in a two-horse race with St. Helens for a while. So, Warrington are discounted. Wigan are discounted because the way they capitulated in the playoffs. So, the only two contenders for me are St. Helens and Salford. And it all depends on Saturday night, Saturday evening. You know, who wins that grand final is the team of the year for me. Because I get the fact that Saints are the best team overall and they by far the best team. They got they won by sixteen points. But if they don't win that grand final, there's something something not right in that team because they can't get over that mental issue of them one off games. So they might be the best overall team, but when the pressure's on, can they do it? If they do do it in the grand final, they're the best team. If Salford do it, they're the best team. 
because, okay, they might not have all the superstar players and the high budget, but they've got a mentality, a shared understanding, a togetherness. All the things that make a team tick, that builds a team, not individual talents. If they win, they're the best team. So it's between those two. It's been great to watch them both. Just slightly disappointing that St. Helens lost out in that Challenge Cup. Moving on to the best player, I think it's got to be Jackson Hastings, hasn't it? He's shone through that Salford team all season. He's been at the forefront of everything that Salford have done. And it's slightly easier to be best player for Hastings because he stands out in that team, whereas players like Johnny Lomax in the Saints team doesn't exactly stand out and he's not a main contender because he's been brilliant for them as well. But, you know, I think the way Hastings has helped push Salford up to that next stage makes him the best player. And I think that's warranted in the fact that he won the Man of Steel. And the biggest surprise, I think this is a two-horse race as well. We've got London, who was actually relegated, so you may think, you know, why? how are they a surprise they got relegated? Yeah, they did get relegated, but it went down to the final minutes of the last game of the season, and people said they wouldn't even win. That's just a police in the background there. People said they wouldn't even win a game, and they came so close to staying up as well, so... That's why they're a big surprise. Danny Ward did a brilliant job. They got some great players in there. Jordan Abdul did quite a good job. Uh, Kieran Dixon, um, Eddie Batty, you know, good, hard-working players. And obviously the other one is Salford again. They surprised everybody. They didn't. Nobody predicted they'd even be in the top five, never mind being contending in the grand final. And to be honest, I think that's a bigger achievement than London because London did get relegated in the end. So, biggest surprise goes to Salford. Biggest disappointment? Well, there's a whole load of contenders here. You know, you've got Hull FC who have got a load of good players and have got a big budget. They backed well, yet they didn't even get in the playoffs. And they've been in it most of the season. They've been massively inconsistent this year. They've lost 55-0 and then they've won 30-odd in the space of a week. I expected more from Hull FC. The same with Catalans. They've got a big budget. They've got a good coach. But they've got a team of individuals who are not all on the same page. Hence why a lot of them are leaving. They've missed out on the top five as well when they arguably should have been there. They're a massive disappointment for me. The way they defended the Challenge Cup win that they got in 2018, they were, you know, it wasn't even a title defence. You've got Warrington who were a disappointment because, yeah, they won the Challenge Cup final, but they were the second best team for most of the game. They've got a great squad there as well. But... In those playoffs, they went out with a whimper. It was pathetic. And Wigan, everybody were thinking Wigan's going to be winning that grand final. And they got battered by Salford. 
So that's why they're a contender for the biggest disappointment. And St Helens, they've got to be nailed on for the biggest disappointment if they don't win the grand final. So I think we'll hold that one. You know, we won't award that just yet. But, you know, Saints, they lost out in the Challenge Cup. If they lose out in the grand final with the the season they've had, they're the biggest disappointments. So it's depending whether Saints win or lose. If they lose, Saints are the biggest disappointment. But if they win, I think it's Hull FC who are the biggest disappointment. Then we've got the best coach. Well, I've already spoken about this. It's Ian Watson, isn't it? Justin Holbrook, I'm sorry, but you've got to win the treble if you're going to be the best coach. And Danny Ward has done a great job, but ultimately he failed. And that might be a bit harsh, but, you know, he were relegated. Ian Watson has achieved more than that. Memorable moment... For me, it was the Sheffield Eagles 1895 Cup win. To overcome all that crap they've had in the recent years, to then get some success, that's got to be the memorable moment for me. And to be headed by a coach who's given everything, who could have walked away, who says he could have walked away, to then go out at Wembley and deliver Cup success for Sheffield Eagles you know, for the first time in 20-odd years, that's the memorable moment. The best signing, that's got to be Jackson Hastings as well because he had a point to prove when he signed and bloody hell did he prove that point. It speaks for itself, the stats, he's the best signing. The biggest flop, there's a lot of contenders for that. For me, it's Tony Gigo. He won the Lance Todd Trophy in 2018 in the Challenge Cup final. He is a top rugby league player. Yet, towards the end of this season, he had a bad attitude, he didn't want to be there, and as a result, he's leaving. For me, he's the biggest flop. An ugly moment, that's got to be the, the fighting in the stands, hasn't it? I don't think there's any argument there. Biggest gripe? <laughs> Where to start? Um. It's got to be loot fixtures, hasn't it? Who wants to see the same game after game after game? The expansion talk is a is a close second to that, you know. So, biggest gripe: loot fixtures. Get rid of them. Nobody wants them. Expand Super League to a, to some more teams. You know the quality in that championship is bloody good. Get a few more teams in Super League. I'd rather see some new teams than Wigan Saints three, four times a season. Anyway, we've come to the end of this edition of Shoulder Charge. And we've come to the end of the season as well, so there won't be a new episode for quite a while now. There might be one just before the start of the next season. And I'm not too sure, actually, between then... There might be one or two bonus episodes in the off-season. But, you know, we're pretty much done now for next year. So, I'll see you again for next season. And I wonder what's in store then. See you later.